Okay, okay. We're very blessed uh, today to have uh, Chris Cartwright with us. Chris is the General Superintendent of the Elam Churches in the UK and beyond, uh, bringing leadership to our movement. And uh, over the past wee while, I've been really blessed to get to know Chris, and I think I'm blessed now that I could call him a friend. Um, and we are delighted to have him here at Glasgow Elam today. Um, Having done the formal invite or the formal introduction, I would invite you to park all of that stuff about he's the general superintendent and he leads the movement and all that. And just hear this. Chris loves Jesus and he hears from God. And more important than titles is that he is a son of God who serves God with all that he has, is a man of utmost integrity and is going to bring to us a word of God. And so we welcome Chris to come and share with us today. Could we, could we pray for Chris? Father, right now we thank you for this incredible man of God who we are privileged to be in the company of today. And Lord, we thank you that you have sent him today with a word for us. And Lord, as gatekeepers of this church, we open up the soul of our church today and we invite you mm. to speak right into the soul of our church Amen. through your servant, Chris. And God, our prayer for him today is that with the measure he uses, it will be measured back to him. The Lord, as he blesses us today by Thank speaking you. your word and your truth, the Lord, he himself would be blessed in his heart and in his spirit, and that there would be such a rich anointing upon him. Father, I pray that you would deposit within Chris's spirit right now something of the revival and renewal and outpouring that is going to take place here at Glasgow, we believe. Amen. God, we pray that you would deposit that within him that he would not only carry it from this moment, but he would begin to open it up to us wow. within this moment. Thank you, Lord. And God, we just ask that above all, our eyes and our focus is on you and on your voice and on your word. And we give you permission to speak to us today because we are here for you. You are worthy of all. And we agree in this together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Fraser. That was a great prayer. And I take that... Uh, uh, very much um, as a prayer of faith and also a, a kind of a rhema prayer into my life. It's great to be here this morning in Glasgow. I can say in sunny Glasgow because it has been since I arrived yesterday. Um, I can't claim to have brought that with me but because um, uh, it rained in Cardiff yesterday where I live uh, as I left. But it's great to be here. Kevin Pete sent me a text yesterday saying that Margaret would be here and he was preaching in crew and Kevin who's a dear dear friend said uh, congratulations on, on speaking tomorrow in the best church in Elim. <laughs> and uh, some things never change <laughs> but it is a joy to be in the best church in Elim. Uh, and to believe the rumors about you. Um, it's wonderful to be here also on, on uh, Father's Day, not because I wanted to be away from my grown-up kids, but they're scattered around the, the country, but because, you know, whether it's Hallmark cards that invented Father's Day and kind of foisted it upon the nations of the world, uh, particularly the Western nations, you know, we have every right to take ownership of it as uh, 
children of God, as sons and daughters of the living God. Somebody say amen this morning, because he is the true father, and he is the great father. And you know that Jesus spent so much of his ministry, his time with his disciples, talking about his father. He did it in ways that were absolutely revolutionary. They were shocking. They were, out, they, they were stand out to the religious leaders of the day because he talked about God in ways that they had never dared and never really fully understood. He called him Abba. He called him Daddy. It was that shorthand for, for, for the most intimate of relationships. And he made it very clear that everything he came to do and to say was about his father. So on Father's Day, it's good that we can come today through Jesus to know the true father. And it's not about titles or hierarchies there. It's about the amazing all revealing love of the Father who created and made and shaped us and in this world pursues us very personally. I want to speak a word today that, that is very simple, but right into the midst of Father's Day, I'm quickened by that prayer. Father's Day has been a time over relatively recent church history where God has moved to reveal himself some more. 1995, that's 27 years ago, but in long church history, in, in the purposes of God, that's a short time. In a church in Pensacola on a Father's Day, a, a, a weary senior pastor, having carried so much in, in, of just the stuff of life and ministry and getting to a low point in his own life and ministry, his name was John Kirkpatrick, he, he invited a friend of his called Steve Hill who was a, a, a teen challenge kind of uh, uh, zealous, fiery preacher and, and was itinerating, was preaching around churches all over North America. He, John invited uh, Steve to come and speak for him one Sunday. It happened to be Father's Day. And that day, if he was really honest, he almost didn't want to get up and go to church. He was just on the edge of burnout. And that morning... As uh, Steve Hill preached and made uh, an appeal at the end of the service, John Kilpatrick, the pastor, was the first to respond. Oh, it wasn't just a gospel message, but it was something of talking about what the Father was pouring out all around the world. Some of you will remember that season that there was an outpouring of the Spirit of God that renewed a weary and a, and a faltering church in so many denominations and streams all around the world. And Glasgow was a part of that, wasn't it? A move of God that swept through our churches here in the UK and around the world. But on Father's Day in Pensacola that Sunday, if you'd taken the t spiritual temperature, I, I don't think you'd have really sensed that it was particularly hot. But at the end of that service, as the senior pastor came forward and others uh, even though it doesn't look too spectacular on the old video. Remember videos? Some of us still got them in our garage or in our loft and nothing to play them on anymore. But it didn't seem to be a moment of dramatic change. It doesn't seem to have been a spectacular lightning bolt moment for the global church. But something happened in that church that morning that broke something and opened up a new move of God as the Spirit of God came upon the senior pastor who was on the verge of leaving the ministry, discouraged and, and, and demoralized and just so sick of carrying things in his own strength. And the rest is history there, but it's indicative. of It shows, it reveals something. 
God is always wanting to reveal himself as father, as the pursuer, as the one that has not only historic plans and dreams for your life and mine, but who is determined to fulfill them. And all it takes, the Bible says that the father seeks Jesus in John 4. In fact, let me back up to say, John's gospel is the most intimate, I think, of the four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's like in John's gospel, John, who was so up close to Jesus, pulls back some of the curtain, and uh, the Holy Spirit pulls back the curtain and shows us intimate things. Jesus talks about the Father in ways that that are just mind-blowing. He talks about the Holy Spirit in ways. There's a time when Jesus begins to prepare the disciples for the cross, that he's about to go and die to save the world. And they don't get it, and they don't understand it. And there's a lengthy period in John 14 and 15 where he begins to talk to them about the Holy Spirit. Not as a, a, a force, but as a person. He says, you know him already, but he that is with you is going to be in you. Then right in the middle of that amazing couple of chapters where he's just talking to him about the Father and the Spirit, like he says things like, I don't do anything by myself. Everything I do is because the Father has told me to do it. I only do what the Father does. So everything that we see about Jesus is reflective of our Heavenly Father. And Jesus is wanting their eyes to be open, but he says this, I I'm going to die, I'm going to rise from the dead, but as well as that, I will not leave you or forsake you. It seems contradictory. How can he say, I'm going to die, but I will not leave you, and then I will be with you always? And the simple truth is that he wants them to know that there is one coming upon them in just a short time who will be with them always. And that's the Spirit of God. And he uses this phrase, I will not leave you as orphans. Orphans. It's a tender word. It's a word pulled right out of the the trauma of real life. It's almost too tender to talk about unless you've gone through that experience to know what it is to be left without the supportive structure of mom and dad of parents and, and others. And, and in so many human situations, that, that can almost be a, 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 the extreme of human experience. Jesus says, knowing that for every single one of us, we're in search, we're, we're hot-wired, we're, there's an inbuilt desire for us to be fathered, to be parented, because it's not just a, a gender thing there. It's father and mothered, to be loved by the one that created us. And that however much we try, we can't do that on our own. And, and Jesus says, there will, it's like he's knowing there's going to come a time when you will feel that if there's a God, where is he for me? If there is a, a God, then he's lost interest in me. If there is a God, after the cross, they felt they were completely on their own and abandoned. And what was all that about? And he said this, I will not leave you as orphans. Not, you will never feel orphaned. I want to say to you, I believe we're living in a world with an orphan spirit. Where in so many ways, people are, just don't know whether there is a God who loves them. And, 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 or if he, if he loves somebody else, what about me? 
the orphan spirit. Jesus says, I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And guys and girls, this morning I want to say, the Father, through Jesus, reaches out to you and me. The one that made us, that wrote the story before the first page was opened. That put something into your heart and mine in his image that he is absolutely passionately committed to fulfilling. And he wants to come for you personally. I want to take you uh, to a passage in scriptures in Luke 14. Sorry, in Luke 5. I don't know where the 14 came from, but I needed to put my glasses on right then. And there, because it was blurring and I saw a jumble of numbers. In Luke 5, let me start by saying yesterday, thank you so much, uh, Fraser and Susan, for looking after me. I came up yesterday, a lovely day, and, and, and Fraser and I had kind of got a pre-agreement that he was going to take me over for a, a quick tour over to Greenock, where years ago my mom and dad came to pastor the Elam Church in the, uh, back in a previous time, I tell you. And, and I was nostalgic and nosy, and I was really curious to go back and just to see. I'd already left home and gone to university and uh, uh, in graduate school in America for part of that time. But, so I came here the first time uh, to, to actually to, to Greenock, just a bit, whichever way, down the Clyde, uh, as my mom and dad had settled into Greenock Elam Church. And uh, so we went across, we saw where they used to live, and, and he took me inside the Greenock Elim Church. Don't tell them, but he borrowed the keys, and in we went, and we snuck around. And I had him, <laughs> stop texting that, okay. And I just had a nostalgia moment, just stepping back. I would have been in my 20s then. I know it's hard to believe that I'm that old, but I really am. Um, and, and just had that sense of appreciation. It was their favorite place in all the years of ministry where they served here in Scotland, and for seven years there. And, you know, as, as I did that, and I was preparing that uh, for the surprise, he also then gave me the final surprise, which was we went on the Waverley. And we took the Waverley back from Greenock. I will get round to preaching in a, in a moment, but, you know, hey, you said be at home, and I'm taking you at your word. So we went on the Waverley, never been on it, seen it for years, um, and... and uh, we got off at Glasgow, and that was absolutely wonderful. And as we were going on the boat down the, 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 the mighty Clyde, the famous, world-famous Clyde, I can't help but flash back to uh, not just a little bit of research that I did on the Clyde and the, the, the shipbuilding industry of the Clyde recently, but this little connection. You know, sometimes God puts connections in your life. You're not always clear about what they're about, but they're not just serendipity. They're not just coincidences. They are, they are often opportunities for God to hand sign something of his work in your life confirmations and things like that. I find that sometimes even just very natural occurrences God uses to teach me things about himself. And I'm not saying this is highly prophetic, but for me, I read about the, the mighty shipbuilding of the Clyde and that, that the ships that were built here went all around the world. It was the greatest shipbuilding center in the world for a significant period of time. And I know that one of the things that, that they did here was they built some of the great Cunard liners. They built... Is it Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth II? Well, Queen Elizabeth II is now birthed off Long Beach in California, 
which is wh where my, uh, or is it in Dubai now? But the, 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 the one of the QE ones is, is off Long Beach. And um, my daughter has just married a few years ago a, a, an American guy, a lovely man of God, from Long Beach, California. So as I was doing that, I was just thinking in a very tangible way. I stood and looked at it off the, 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 the coast of Long Beach and took some photos. Uh, it's now a hotel there and, 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 and so on. And was just reminded of the reach of Glasgow. This extraordinary reach, historically and over the years. And I cannot help but think about what God has done over these years. And that prayer, Fraser, that what God is going to do is not just about our plans and our purposes. But that he, that he is pursuing a people who are after his heart. And once again, I want those of you that are Glasgow born and bred to pray for this city like never before. I want to stir that in you, not because it's my city, but it is yours. And I want you to, to pray that with fervent faith again. Dust down some of those old prayers, those historic prayers. Get out some of those prophetic words, because they were not just about one season. They were about the intention, the desire, the, the, the heart of God to reach a changing city, a hugely cosmopolitan city now that, that, that is meant again to step into the fullness of what God has. Different time, different cultural season. Lots going on that the forebears would not believe the challenges of a, a, a secularized uh, uh, nation and world and, 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 and what the believers of today have to contend with in terms of faith. But the church is not alone and Jesus is wanting to raise up a people who will be serving him, available to him, going on adventures with him from this time on. Can somebody say amen this morning? I want to take you to another piece of water. Thousands of miles from here, in Luke chapter 5, and read these words. It's early on in Jesus' ministry. He's been raised in the region of Galilee. He's been uh, trained as a carpenter and a stonemason. It wasn't just wood. And uh, he's been uh, preparing the purposes of God in his heart and life, in, in, in a family uh, up in the country, up in, the, in a backwater, not in the big city. And, and, and then at 30 years of age, he begins to step out into his earthly ministry and begins to make known his father, begins to talk about this kingdom that is not a political kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom, but it's the kingdom of God that is coming and has already come, Jesus says. He begins to announce that. And for the first few chapters of all of the Gospels, with lightning speed, Jesus goes from place to place. And then we read this in Luke 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. 
And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the huge catch of fish that they'd taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. In a place that for many, many years was almost defined by the water that flows through it, the mighty Clyde. I want to suggest to you that what we've just read of something that happens on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, a a, a famous historic piece of water, to them in in the Galilee region, it, it, it was something of the lifeblood of their community. Oh, the Galilee is full of beautiful rolling green hills and now wonderful vegetation and, and plantations. But, but it, it, it is focused upon this huge part of water. Any of you ever been to Galilee? Just give me a wave. You know exactly what I mean. And, and there are brothers, two sets of brothers that actually don't come from Galilee, from, from the, the town where they're now living, which is Capernaum, but, but further round Galilee, further round the, the loch, the lake, I guess we'd see it, it actually is, but, but similar to one of these huge bodies of water that you have, beautiful bodies of water here in Scotland. And they come from a little place called Bethsaida, I believe that even though the the headline version that we have in the Gospels is pretty clear in terms of this event, this particular day, when Jesus encounters them in a particular life-changing way, that actually we don't get the full details of their backstory, but some of it is really predictable. These brothers, Simon and Andrew, and another set of brothers called James and John, are fishermen. They've gone into the fishing business. And something has happened where they've moved from little Bethsaida with their little fishing business up to the bigger city of Capernaum, which is a regional center. And I think that that is all about ambition. I think these young lads and growing into men began to ply their trade, and they, they did a deal. We don't know about how close their friendship was initially, but they, they get to Capernaum with a deal, a business deal. They become partners together in a bigger business. It's a really human story. How many of you know the Bible is not just some religious book? It's about real people in real places going through real stuff. How many of you know that that's us too? We go through real stuff, don't we? Oh, the last few years, we've realized how real life is. We're more tender. We're more vulnerable. We're, in many, many ways, we, we, we recognize our need for one another. Not just those who follow Jesus, but in our neighborhoods. In fact, in some ways, there's been a real display of that human need and, and of human kindness seeking to make a difference in some of the worst situations that we've ever seen. It's not a monopoly that the church has. And yet in the midst of that, we are called to be real in our faith amongst real people. 
I believe with all my heart that God comes in the Bible again and again. Jesus comes to real people in real places, going through real stuff. We are not immune from the things of life because we believe in Jesus. Far from it. What he calls us to do is to walk in those real situations with the reality of his love, his power, his peace. When we don't have those things that can make a difference all by ourselves. And so in real people, in real places, in real stories. And I just want to open up this story very quickly with you this morning. And I want us to see something of what God is up to. God the Father through Jesus. Because everything he said, he did is to show the Father. So these brothers have moved to Capernaum. They've set up their fishing business And on this particular day, Luke tells us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, breathed in by the Holy Spirit, Luke's words, headlines, the story. If we could see it on the screen right now, if we'd had the benefit of, you know, somebody with a camera putting it on YouTube 2,000 years ago, wouldn't that be amazing? We don't have that, do we? The technology wasn't available, but what we do have are these words. John says of his gospel, if all the things that Jesus did were written down. There wouldn't be enough books in all the world to contain them. But these things, the things that have been written down, are written, he says, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. And by believing, you would have eternal life in his name. So in other words, John is saying these are written for a purpose of all the things so that you can put your trust in him as Savior And Lord, that's why we've got these things written. We can't see them on the YouTube, but imagine for a moment we could. We start by the water's edge. And we hear Luke saying that crowds are gathering. The crowds are there. You know, the Gospels show us that wherever Jesus went, crowds gathered. Not just small crowds, large crowds. 5,000 men alone, including Uh, as well as uh, uh, women and and maybe some of their children were gathered on a mountainside one day and a miracle took place where he fed them after days of them listening to him. Other times, many other thousands. They actually do a head count. But on these occasions, we don't get the size of the crowd, but we know crowds means crowds. You've been in a large crowd, a huge crowd. Maybe it's some great sporting event. I'm not going to mention a single football team this morning, okay, just in case. Because I know that can be really dangerous ground. Uh, But I know, a great sporting occasion. Or the music concerts. There have been a few in in Glasgow over the past few days. And Cardiff, where I live, is because everybody wants to get back into you know, the events starting again. and the, Or maybe you've been in a huge worship service. Some of you have been amongst thousands in a worship service. As we praise God together and had the joy and the celebration this morning, some of those great songs, and we're, yes, Lord, crowds of people. Crowds can be really moving. They can move you to strong emotion. I, I will tell you one story. It's not about uh, a, a club team, but... We live in Cardiff, Wales. We went from London when our our oldest two kids were were small um, about 25 years ago. And they just uh, built a new stadium. The rugby stadium was turned around and and rebuilt and they called it the Millennium Stadium. And Wales was just about to host the Rugby World Cup back then. My seven-year-old son and I 
I got tickets for us to go to the game. It wasn't a rugby match because those were always booked up. You could never get tickets. But they opened it for a, a Wales-Norway football match that would have normally just drawn a small crowd. But everybody took the opportunity to see the new stadium. And so we were in there. We were right up in what they call, for some reason, the gods. <laughs> and, and Jordan and I, my son, were there. And we'd been in Cardiff just a few years, moving from London. He'd started in primary school as a, 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 the, the only English kid in the class. And, 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 and been early on recruited to play for Wales, <laughs> if he ever made it that good. Um, and, and just settling in. The game was on. It was a pretty boring game. I don't remember much about it. Other than one moment, all of a sudden, the whole stadium stood to their feet and started waving their arms and shouting. Looking at the pitch, nothing was happening. So uh, Jordan and I did the same thing. We just began to shout and, yes! And then we looked across at the scoreboard and it said, England nil, Germany won. (laughs) My seven-year-old boy looked at me with his eyes popping open. Dad, look what they're shouting at. And without thinking, I said, Jordan, just remember, we're missionaries here, son. You can get caught up by crowds. Crowds can move you. Crowds can make you follow and go where you don't want to go. Crowds can be really moving emotionally, but also they can be challenging. We know of horrendous situations when a crowd begins to push and shove and, 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 and disaster strikes. Real crowds. You'll find when you read about the crowds in the gospel that sometimes the crowd is a challenge. But we hear something. It actually comes out in one of these gospel accounts of, 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 of Jesus amongst crowds. And it says this, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. In fact, it says this, he was moved with compassion. So Jesus did not just see a blur of faces, no distinguishable features. Jesus was concerned for every single person. It goes on to say this, he saw that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. It's a very farming image that, isn't it? Maybe you're looking for another image. They were, they, they, they were just like they were lost. They didn't know what they were doing, where they were going. But Jesus didn't just condemn the crowd. He was moved. Moved means moved. Something went from emotion into action for him. Whenever the crowds were around Jesus, he changes them if they'll allow him. And there are some remarkable moments. I want to tell you just of one other before we land this in terms of this moment by the side of Galilee with a man called Simon who we get to know as Peter. There's a woman that pushes through a crowd one day. Matthew tells us about her. Mark tells us about her. Luke tells us about her. And she pushes through. She's 12 years. She's been uh, hemorrhaging blood in a society where if, if, if blood was around, you were contaminated. You were seen to be unclean. And, and she spent all her money on everybody that she, she thought might be able to help and nobody can help her. And nobody's going to part the crowd that day for her like they do for Jairus, the, the VIP, the mayor of the town, in that same story. But she comes up behind him and touches him. Some of you know the story. The moment she touches him, the Bible tells us, the gospel tells us that she is instantly healed. She knows that she is healed. And something has 
led her in her heart. Maybe she's heard on the grapevine, not on social media. They didn't have that either. And she's heard that Jesus changed his life. She's pressed through when nobody would make a way for her. Do you know, you ever feel in life that nobody's making a way for you? That, That everybody else gets the breaks? This woman, against all the odds, presses through. And the moment she does, the crowd stops. Jesus stops. And he turns. Who touched me? It's, it's, it's kind of a strange question. The disciples say, who touched you? And the implication is, everybody's trying to touch you. You know, somebody touched me differently. Somebody touched me with faith. And he looks around and the woman is ashamed. She's healed, but she, she feels orphaned. Everybody has rejected her. That orphan spirit. And, and what she says in that, in that moment, she begins to tell him, it was me. It was me. And she's face down and, and bowed before him. And everybody waits to see what he'll do. And this is what he does. He calls her daughter. Wow. He calls her daughter. A woman that's rejected by everybody. Everybody thinks is unclean. Spent all her money. She's got nothing left. She dares to reach out and touch him. She's healed. And she feels like now she's going to get it. Because she stopped the crowd who were going with Jesus to Jairus' house. Whose daughter is dying. And what will the religious man say to her? What will the the rabbi say to her? She might be thinking of him. At that moment he says, daughter. And he gives her new hope. New life. New identity. And from that moment on, her life is never the same. Nobody had called her daughter in years. And if they had, not like that. Ladies, today I want to say, he calls you daughter. He calls you daughter. It's not religious words. It's tender and personal. Guys, I want to say, he calls you sons. Prodigal story is there to show that You know what happened after Father's Day and after the outpouring of Toronto in the mid-90s? You know what happened? Loads of prodigals came back to the Father. Some of you might be here and that was you. Some of my friends came back to faith, came back to Jesus full on, but they got the whole deal. They got the wholeness of his love. So here we are. Jesus walks towards a boat. Why a boat? If we could see it on there, two fishermen's boats at least would have been on the side, maybe more. And he walks towards it very purposefully. The crowds are there and he's about to teach the crowds. We know that the properties of water are such that it amplifies. If you're near the water's edge, try it sometimes. Just speaking over the water. And some of you more technical than me will know that it amplifies it. They didn't have microphones and and speaker systems. Jesus is about to use Peter's boat as a, a platform. Uh, to speak to the crowds and to use those natural properties. At least that's what the Bible commentators believe, and I I agree with them. But first, he has to get into the boat, and the boat belongs to two brothers, Simon and Andrew. And they're mending their nets because they've had a rough night out fishing, night out fishing, and caught nothing. I want you to imagine that you find the best boats on the Clyde, okay? Maybe there's some... uh, Yachts there. There's some fine, you know, private yachts that that kind of look just look so inviting. And I want you to imagine that nosy like I am, if you're nosy like me, you want to see what's going on behind 
those doors, you want to see what that yacht is like on the inside. Maybe it's some multi-millionaire's yacht that's parked up in the Clyde for a few days. And I want to imagine that you go down to the dockside and you, you see the, 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 the ramp and it's got a little, uh, you know, do not enter kind of little rope there. But when nobody's looking, you move the rope, you sneak on board. You begin to have a look around. We've got an old friend that, that designs the interiors of yachts. He, he, he studied interior design at uni and then he, he signed up all those years ago as a rookie to a, a yacht designers in London um, and, and is still all these years later designing the interiors. He can't tell you who he's designing for, but some of those it, staggering amounts of money spent, at least they were pre-pandemic, pre-recession, on the interiors of yachts. Some of those at the moment with the world, worldwide situation in response to you, Ukraine and Russia, obviously we, we've heard about them. They're sitting in harbors somewhere being seized. I want you to imagine for a moment you got on board one of those. You begin to have a look around <laughs> at what, what it's like. Then all of a sudden you hear, Oi, you, get off my boat. Jesus walks to a real boat, a fisherman's boat. Fishermen not the, known to be the most uh, uh, polite, sophisticated of people. I don't mean that disrespectfully if you're a fisherman. I mean they're, they're tough, they're rough. They're hardened by the, 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 the life that they've lived. And that's their boat. These brothers and their friends have put everything they had into those boats because that's their dream. They're going to make it big. Maybe they've sized up a plot of land on the edge of Galilee somewhere where they'll build a family home and, 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 and begin to establish themselves. And Jesus steps onto their boat. Peter has been around Jesus already. The Gospels show us that not long before this, Jesus has been in his mother-in-law's house in Capernaum. And his mother-in-law is ill and she can't look after them. And, and the crowds are outside the door and Jesus has healed the crowds. But he also heals Peter's mother-in-law. And yet there's no sign today as Jesus is about to teach the crowds that Peter is in the crowd. Hello. He's not spiritually hungry this day. He's going about his life. How many of you are living amongst people that even though you maybe have a faith in Jesus, they're just getting on with life. They're, they're busy doing the things they do, work and family and, and all their commitments and they're stretched. Peter is not in the crowd. He's doing his job. And Jesus steps into his boat. I want to get, get this from my own heart afresh. And I want you to get it. You see, this reveals us something. God doesn't wait till we come to him. He pursues us. When Jesus steps into that boat that day, he's stepping into Peter's world. His dreams, his ambitions, his plans for his life. These guys that want to make something of themselves, but whose heart yet are not opening really to Jesus. He's been around a miracle. His own mom-in-law has been healed by Jesus and then cooked them a meal. But it's not yet got into his heart. So Jesus makes it personal. He steps in his boat. And if we could see it on there, I don't know how long he taught the crowd. Peter sits in the back of the boat, pushes out a little way, and Jesus teaches the crowd. And Peter, in his boat, probably has to listen to every word. There's no iPod 
you know, earbuds to blot out the, the noise. And he hears again. We hear nothing. Luke, no, Luke tells us nothing about what Jesus taught that day. Not a thing. He's probably teaching for a few hours. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew gives us blow by blow detail. Pages of it about what Jesus taught on the, the Sermon on the Mount. But nothing here. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is doing something different. Jesus wants us to know something different. It's not for us to know the teaching that day. What we are being focused upon. And as the camera would, would pan around the crowd, Jesus in the boat. We're about to get a close up to the heart of God for one guy. And his name is Simon. Who becomes Peter. Because Jesus gives him a new nickname. How cool is that? Jesus uses nicknames. He gives one for the James and John brothers as well. He calls them the sons of thunder. I, I like to call that the wild boys. You know if you're out on, on a town on a Saturday night. Walking along and you see some bother. You would want James and John with you. You wouldn't want to be against them. But you'd want them on your side. Because they're wild boys. And if Jesus nicknames them wild boys, that gives me hope that he can, he can take real people. He can come to real people, not just cleaned up and sorted people. He can come to us as we are. So let's accelerate. Jesus, at the end of teaching, turns to Peter and says, put the boat out. Let's go fishing. A carpenter tells a fisherman, it's time to go fishing. And, and, and what we get, the, the shorthand version is this. Peter I'm not sure that whether other bits were edited out, but I have a feeling that this is what we're meant to hear. Peter says, Lord, because you say so, I'll do it. What else could he have said? This is the worst time. It's the middle of the day. The fish won't be out right now. It's too hot out there. And, and the middle of the sea is not the place to do it. We fish in the shallows where we can get them easily. And, and our nets are not fully mended yet because we had a really rough night. And, and it's the worst time. Wrong conditions, Jesus. But he actually says, Lord, because you say so. I wonder whether something in that teaching has begun to touch his heart. People said of Jesus, we've never heard words like it. Nobody, nobody has words like him. But he'd also just watched Jesus heal the sick and meet the needs of those that had listened to his words. And I wonder what's happening. So all his fisherman stuff is laid aside and he obeys Jesus in his boat. Goes out into the middle of the sea. What I want you to hear more than anything in this if this is all you take away is this, Jesus steps into your boat. So I don't have one. It's your world. That's all it is. Represented. Your steps into your kitchen. He steps into your workplace. He steps into your passion, your ambition. It, not to rubbish it, but to come and meet you there. Because the things in your heart that have given you the desire to be somebody and to make something and to, to, to does, it, does anybody care? Do I matter? All of that has been put in there by Father God. And in John to a woman by a well who's a Samaritan woman and not, not one of the Jewish uh, people. And, and, and he, he says this, that God is seeking. A kind of worshipper that will worship him in spirit and truth. That word seeking means passionately looking, pursuing 
for all of time, pursuing endlessly, relentlessly. It's like a heat-seeking missile that trains itself and can't really be easily thrown off. God's seeking anybody that will just... Now, he's not saying you have to sing great. That's not worship. That's not the only thing of, of, of worship music. He's saying, I'm looking for any spark in your heart that turns, that opens an SOS or a glimmer of, Lord, if you're, I'm broken and far from you, but if you are real, Lord, God's seeking that. Wow. So Jesus comes for him. In the middle of the, the, the sea, let's land it in the next about seven minutes. In the middle of the sea, he puts out the, the net. And you don't believe I can do that, do you? <laughs> Susan. That giggle was a bit too. And there's 30 seconds gone now. Um, puts out the net and Luke tells us all of a sudden there's a huge catch of fish. So much so that they can't, they can't land them on their own. And, and, and they call for the other boat to come and help them. And they're kind of <laughs> not limping but just trying to get the boat back to land. The biggest catch of their lives so far. The biggest payday. And something happens in that moment that is really personal. Peter looks at the fish, knowing the scrambled eggs of his brain right there and his heart and his spirit, makes him say something and, and do something that's extraordinary. He, put, he puts himself face down in the fish at Jesus' feet. You've been down a fish market and looked at those slippery things. He works with fish. He's long ago stopped smelling fish. But he probably smells of fish. But on this occasion, he is face down. Think if we, if we could see it. Face down in his boat amidst all the fish before Jesus. And he says this, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Lord, you don't know who, who I am. I can't be around you. He's overwhelmed by the miracle of the catch of fish and what he's heard and that Jesus is with him in the boat. And he feels totally unworthy, totally rejected. Like, like, like he's, he's not worthy to even be in his own boat with Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't answer him in, in the way that Peter might expect. I think he picks him up. He lifts his head. Gets him up. And then he says, Peter, from now on, follow me. In other words, no, I'm not going to run from you. I'm not going to reject you. You're not an orphan. I've come to you. I'm with you. And from now on, follow me. I want you to come live with me. I want you to come on a new adventure with me. And what we hear is that Peter and his brother, his brother Andrew... And James and John, they leave not just their nets, they leave the payday, they leave the biggest catch, they leave it to the family who, who normal, normal service resumes, but they follow Jesus. What is that, that moment all about? It's more than a moment, it's a day that changes their lives. It makes the point they've been around him, they're in the town where he's living, he's been in the, their, their family house but Peter has not yet opened his heart. So Jesus steps in his boat. Guys and ladies here today, Jesus 
comes to your world and mine. All through the stuff of life. It's not always when you expect it. But as we begin to open up to him, we find that that's still his pattern. He comes to real people in real places. It takes some courage sometimes. It takes some work before we drop our guard and, and we confess. Peter doesn't immediately say, I'm a wretched man. In fact, he'd fight you over that if you said it. But Jesus gets him to a point where before the holiness of God, of Jesus, the Savior, before the miracles that he's seen, before the, the character and the nature of this man who's in his boat, who looked into his eyes, he says, I can't be around you. Jesus says, yes, you can. I want you around me. Come on. Come live with me. Come work with me. Come and follow me. I'll make you my disciple. You can be like me too. Not son of God. That's not contestable. That's not up for election. But you can be mine. Peter's changed. I want to suggest to you something. Firstly for your own life. In this season. Whatever else it's about. He wants to come fresh personally into your world I don't know whether you're in the same shape as you were two years ago but most of us are not we've got some extra baggage we've got some extra hurt we've got some extra heartache we've got some we've got less confidence the church has got less confidence around our nation maybe some of the stuff we thought we were winning that the community for Jesus with has, is not all that we thought it was. And yet Jesus comes into our boat and says, come with me, comes into our church and says, hey, let's go out fishing again. You say, Lord, we've tried everything. We're stuck. We're mending nets. Fraser and the leadership team, I, I, I know that you have faith for something that God is going to do here, but I want to just completely endorse it and say, Jesus comes into the boat of Glasgow Elim. He comes into this city and other churches too. And he'll come personally. And he'll come into the places that some of you guys are stepping into. But it's even better if you know that that's his heart and you will invite him in. And I want to give you an opportunity in the next few minutes to do that. To say, Lord, whether you're new to faith whether you're still on the journey to believing that you can entrust your life to him and he'll give you new life, or whether you're a seasoned veteran, as some of you are, been through some stuff, still believe. In fact, beginning to believe more than you've ever believed that Jesus is the savior of the world. Can I get an amen this morning? So we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to, just for a moment to close your eyes in the presence of God. I don't know whether this is time for uh, Gary, if you, you guys as a team would just come back. Let's land it now. If it were landing the plane, we'd trust that the pilot would read the instruments and be balancing every. We don't want a bumpy landing. But right now the Holy Spirit is in this place. And the message that I came to preach to you was this. Jesus pursues you to your life, into your world. If he can do it with a rough guy like Peter and win his heart. And he can do it with that broken woman who touched him in the crowd. And he changed her life. And he called her daughter. He can do it to you. Guys and girls. All different types of people in the room today. But he comes personally. Do not limit what he can do with you.
if you open your heart afresh to him this Sunday morning. You say it's just another Sunday. Not for you, it's not. Because you're in a place of heart response to Jesus right now. Potential for him to release something for from now on. How long? That's in his hands. From now on. I've come to you again. I've stepped into your world. I'm with you. 